everybody. My name is Michelle Manley. If we haven't had a chance to meet before, I'm the pastor of spiritual formation here at the river, and I'm really glad to be with you today to add my warm welcome to Leslie's. We are in the midst of a summer series that we have called Deep Dive, rediscovering some of the remarkable people of the Old Testament. And to the extent that you've been able to follow along with us in the ins and outs that summer can be, I hope that you're gaining a sense of awareness, whether for the first time or in a renewed way, that the Bible story is made even more compelling when you encounter its full cast of characters. Uh, you know, the most impactful stories, at least in my opinion, are always those with both compelling central characters and a robust supporting cast. Right? This is the brilliance of something like the Harry Potter series. My family and I came late to that um, series of stories, but once we got hooked in the world of Hogwarts, we've gone round multiple times with the question, who's your favorite Harry Potter character? Not Harry, Ron, or Hermione, the three central characters. So with apologies to those of you who aren't fans, I will say that I usually answer that Mrs. Weasley, Severus Snape, or Neville Longbottom. But not to lose the point, the point here is that the lasting impact of a story and its core themes is significantly impacted, increased when it comes resoundingly from a wide cast of characters. So today in our journey through remarkable uh, people of the Old Testament, we come to the book of Joshua. Now Joshua would be one of those big names of the Bible story. Joshua was Moses's protege, and Joshua is the young leader who ultimately leads the people of God into the land God had promised for them generations before. Joshua's is a story of great faith and deep courage. I love the story of Joshua, but right alongside Joshua's story, or in some ways you could say embedded in it, is a much lesser known story of a woman named Rahab. And Rahab's story needs not to be missed because Rahab's story is a story of the surprising and powerful work of God and a surprising and powerful uprising of faith. So I am excited to bring this story to you today and I want to pray for us as we get ready to spend some time with Rahab. So would you join me in prayer? God, we thank you for your people who have gone before us and show us the way of faith. Teach us about what you are like. Today, we thank you for Rahab, and we pray, Lord, that you would bring her story to life for us, a story that is deep in history and in a context so different from ours. But we pray that you would use it for our good and your purposes today. Amen. So just a little more context as we get ready to encounter Rahab. So Joshua is preparing to lead the people into the land that God has promised for him, for, for them. And this is not a small task because this land is occupied by other people. So as they prepare to um, embark on a sure-to-be battlefield journey ahead, Joshua sends scouts to go ahead and gather intel on what they're likely to experience, particularly in their first point of anticipated resistance in the fortified city of Jericho. Now, if this story of sending spies ahead sounds 
somewhat familiar to you? That may be because Moses did the exact same thing 40 years prior. Moses sent a whole team of scouts into the land, and this was the undoing of the people of Israel's more direct path into this land of bounty that God had promised them. That team, the majority of them, that team of scouts, became terrified by what they saw. And they came back with a negative report to the people of Israel. They said, these people are huge and numerous, and their cities are large and fortified. We are sure to be devoured if we head into this battle. And it hit the people right in their place of fear. They grumbled against God. They said it would have been better if we could just stay in slavery in Egypt than face this kind of battle. And that unbelief was what led to the wandering of the people of God for 40 years in the desert till all those who refused to believe that God would make a way for them had died off. So here we are, spies take two. And I want to encourage you this afternoon or sometime this week to read the whole of the story for yourself in Joshua chapters 1 through 6. I'm going to be summarizing for our purposes today. Joshua scouts head into Jericho, and here is where we encounter Rahab. Rahab, we are told, uh, housed or lodged the spies. She had a home on the wall of Jericho, and she became their host. Sounds nice, but it's an immediately suspect move, because what we're told about Rahab is that Rahab is a prostitute. And we know, because Rahab lived in Jericho, that Rahab was of the people of Canaan. She was a Canaanite. And the Canaanites were known for their worship of demonic idols, for their rampant um, sexual taboos, and for child sacrifice to the Canaanite gods. You know, we as a people here at the river like, try to stay away from overly simplistic dual categories, good people and bad people, but for all intents and purposes, the Canaanites were bad people, a godless nation given over to vile acts. And Rahab was one of them. So if you could imagine for a minute in your mind some person by context and by life choices that you feel like, there's just absolutely no way that this person would be open to the God that, of the Bible, to the working of God in their lives. That would be Rahab. There was nothing in Rahab's history, in her culture, to open her to the work of God. But prepare to have your mind blown. Because Rahab, prostitute, Canaanite, bad guy, not only houses the Israelite scouts, but at great risk to herself, she protects them when the king of Jericho hears that there are foreigners in his land. And not only that, Rahab is the one who speaks the word of faith, of assurance to these scouts that they can go forward in battle trusting that they will win the victory. These are the words of Rahab, to the Israelite scouts as they hid on her roof. She said, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. 
We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to Sion and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear, and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. The word of the Lord, spoken through a Canaanite prostitute. Remember, just 40 years prior, it was scouts of the people of God who were struck down in fear and refused to believe that God would make a way for them. And now, here we have this woman of ill repute from a people of vile practice who is the one who speaks faith and courage that enables or empowers the people of God to go forward into the promise of God. Now, I am well aware that the particulars of this story are so far removed from our experience here in Silicon Valley that it can be kind of hard to grasp what is going on. But I hear this timeless question to us in the midst of Rahab's story. How big is your picture of God? How big is your picture of God? Does your picture of God allow for the idea that God is up to surprisingly powerful things? That God is doing things that otherwise we would consider impossible? Does your picture of God expect to be surprised by how it is that God is at work? Because that's the kind of God that's revealed in Rahab's story. God can make the bad guy into the hero. Nothing is impossible with God. In a story like Rahab's of God moving in such a surprising and powerful way, in a surprising place, you might expect that the how of God's move would be equally spectacular, right? Some kind of wild dream or angelic visitation or even the audible voice. But did you notice how it was? that God got Rahab's attention. It was in her words to the scouts, three uh, simple but important words easily overlooked. She says, we have heard. We have heard. The stories about God reached Rahab and her people. They heard the testimony of God working in wild and powerful ways. She says uh, that someone... She indicates that someone, maybe more than one, had told her the stories of God. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt. They'd heard this story of the parting of the waters so that the people of God could go through on dry land. And then she says, we've also heard what you did to these kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. They had heard about the Israelites' military victory. The recounting of the stories of God's powerful work caught their attention, made them wonder, and ultimately, at least in the case of Rahab, made her believe that the God of the Israelites was God in heaven above and on earth below. But God can make himself known in any number of ways to people, but one of the consistent ways that God makes himself known and 
um, enlivens faith in his people is through the power of storytelling, the telling and retelling of God's stories from person to person and generation to generation. So hold on to that, because I want to come back to the power of storytelling. But there's a bit more to say about Rahab's story and, and her lasting legacy, because I will admit to bringing my hopefully mostly healthy, maybe occasionally a little unhealthy cynicism to Rahab's story. I mean, this one apparent statement of faith, does that really indicate something robust and lasting? And honestly, my suspicions seem well-founded as the story progresses, because what we find is that Rahab trades her protection of the spies, uh, the scouts, um, for the protection of she and her family when the people of God come through to capture the city of Jericho. And they are protected. An elaborate plan is made for their protection, and they become spared among all the people of Jericho. So, was it faith, or was it just a self-interest thing? But listen to how the story ends in Joshua 6. It says, Joshua spared Rahab, the prostitute, with her family and all who belonged to her because she hid the men Joshua had sent as spies to Jericho. And she lives among the Israelites to this day. She lives among the Israelites to this day. This turns out to be an entire change of allegiance for Rahab. Rahab was not just opportunistic, gaining her own freedom. She joins herself to the people of Israel and to their God. This woman of ill repute from a culture of vile practice is found by God, awakens to God, and gets grafted into the family of God. And she doesn't just get grafted on some kind of far-off branch. She gets grafted right into the central branch of the family tree of God that leads all the way to the person of Jesus. This little-known character of the Old Testament, her name resurfaces in the book of Matthew, one of the four stories of the life of Jesus in the New Testament. As Matthew recounts Jesus' genealogy, there sits the name of Rahab. Rahab marries into the Israelite nation and becomes one of the named forebears of Jesus. This is the surprising power of God on display. Nothing is impossible with God. So again, I wonder to what extent your faith, my faith, makes room for this kind of surprising move of God. So my experience as a, is that this kind of expansive faith is awfully challenged in our context. I mean, it's challenged in the context of Silicon Valley that leans hard on human ingenuity with little sense of connection to the God who may be enlivening that ingenuity and with little inclination to turn toward God when we find ourselves at a loss. In our context here at the river, hopefully we have some different instincts of faith. But I'm aware that among us, 
a number of us carry faith that has been disappointed. Places where we haven't seen God come through in surprising and powerful ways like we may have hoped for in our circumstances. Some of us carry a broken faith, or at least a seriously bruised faith. And that's important to pay attention to, because we aren't likely to get far in a life with God, believing that God is with us and for us, if our faith is significantly broken and bruised. And a broken and bruised faith is probably going to need a variety of things to be healed and to come to life. But I would say without a doubt, it's going to need companionship. It's going to need the help of others to nurse it to life. And so that's why I'm hosting this morning in a couple weeks, uh, Saturday, August 12th, as a space for people, you all, me, who feel like there's something about my faith that feels like it's, it's broken, or at least bruised, and I need a space to explore that. I am not promising that one three-hour block of time on a Saturday morning will be the complete restorative work, um, but I do have faith that God would set some of us on a trajectory of recovery. And so if you feel like as you sit this morning, you sit with some kind of broken or bruised faith, I would encourage you to come and join me. I will provide some structure in that space. And we'll see what God will do. Expansive faith, faith for the impossible, is challenged. It's challenged by our secular culture. It's challenged by our disappointments. And it's also challenged, I think, by the overt or kind of under-the-water sense that many of us carry that we don't really see God move in very surprising and powerful ways in our day. And it's certainly true that it is a more rare experience that we see the kinds of miracles that seem to drip sometimes from the pages of the Bible in our everyday experience. And yet, I would venture that more of us have seen more of that than we remember or that we live alive to. And this is where we come back to the power of storytelling I would say we need a resurgence of storytelling, telling the stories of God in our midst. We need free-flowing, robust storytelling of how it is that we have seen God to be like the God of Rahab. So this morning, I want to invite us to a practice of storytelling what is the story of God at work that you have to share? What story of God at work do you have to share? In a few minutes, I am going to invite you to actually tell one another stories, to turn to one or two other people around you and just share a story of how you have experienced or maybe you have heard from someone else a story of God at work in a potentially surprising or powerful way. Now, I'm guessing some of you are getting revved. You're like, I got, I got a story to share. 
And some of you um, may just feel like your mind just went blank. Like, what? What is she asking? So take a breath. I'm going to start. I have a couple of stories that I would like to share that God has used in my life in history and in more recent days to enliven my faith, to keep me moving towards something, some kind of faith that makes room for God to do surprising and powerful things. A couple words about stories, um, just to say that, that there's no one script. I mean, stories can be personal. Stories can be borrowed from another, but nonetheless impactful on, on us. Stories can be um, marvelously grand, and we welcome the marvelously grand stories of God. But stories of faith can also be quieter, simple, but also inspiring to us. Stories of faith can be current. It's helpful when it feels like God has been active in our recent history. But meaningful stories of God at work in the world can also be um, from our past that we return to again and again to kindle faith. So I have a story that's personal and somewhat long ago to offer, as well as a more current and borrowed one that's inspiring me just this week. So the personal story of God's surprising work to me came to me in a letter from my grandma when I was a sophomore in high school. Believe it or not, that is me. Just a few years ago with my grandma. Thank you. Uh, Dorothy Hamill. Yep. For those of you who, who can hang with that reference. Um, so when I was a sophomore in high school, the youth group that I was part of invited sophomores to consider if it felt like it was an authentic thing to become a member of the wider uh, church community. It would be like becoming a river partner in our context. There were some classes that we took, some conversations we had. We wrote personal statements of faith. And then there was a Sunday where the church as a whole recognized us as um, full membership members and honored our commitments. And it was on that Sunday that I received this really special letter from my grandma. Now, I knew my grandma to be a woman of substantial faith. And I also uh, was aware in that growing way at, what are you, 15 as a sophomore, that my grandma's life was pretty hard. She grew up in rural poverty, a place that doesn't have a lot of opportunities for many people, and especially not for young girls. And she and my grandpa took on the exceedingly arduous task of running a small family farm on the ebbs and flows of whatever nature brought you that year. My grandma also um, knew the particular pain of losing one of her four children to an accident in their young adulthood. So with that backdrop as the context, this letter that she wrote me came with particular weight. She wrote, honey, it's a letter from grandma, honey, I'm so pleased that you're joining the church today. I joined my little church in Glenny, Michigan when I was just 15. And God's never failed me yet. He's been so faithful. God's never failed me yet, said my grandma. 
So I've just told you the little sketch of the hardship that she knew. Her faith in the God who did not fail in the midst of substantially difficult things has stirred me again and again. I keep this letter in the Bible that I had when I was a teenager, and I return to it periodically. What is it that Grandma knew about who God is that says, stay the course, believe this God to be enough? It's a story about God that keeps my faith expanding. So one more story. This one borrowed, um, but closer to home. It's a river story told to me by Steve Rappenchuk, sitting right here. Many of you know Steve. Steve has many things to commend him, but Steve is one of our awesome youth volunteers. And Steve, along with the team of youth that was doing ministry in the Dominican Republic, they've just returned yesterday. This is them at their send-off. You see Steve on the far side. Steve was here in this uh, sanctuary two Sundays ago, just before this send-off, holding four very um, pressing matters in his life that he needed to hear God move on in order to make his way to join the team in the Dominican Republic. <laughs> Fundamentally, Steve needed a passport. Uh, kind of essential if you're going to leave the country. But beyond that, Steve was in an extended uh, job interview process for a job that he really wanted and was pretty concerned that his nine-day lag of being in the Dominican was going to mess that up. On the home front, he had a broken-down car and a beloved dog that was nearing the end of its life. So he went to the wall. If you've been among us at the river, you hear our invitation every Sunday to join one of our river prayer ministers at the wall and to bring your needs to be prayed for together in faith. So that's what Steve did that morning. And I saw Steve four days later at the send-off for the team, and he was nearly overflowing with the story of God's surprising move on his behalf. He told me the story that within a matter of hours on Tuesday, all four of those things were resolved. The passport arrived, he got the job, the car was repaired, and though terribly sad, he and his wife Marisa were able to be together to say goodbye to their beloved dog. Steve said it was like rapid fire answer to prayer. And, you know, the most significant uh, thing among all those very meaningful things is that I saw Steve's faith had just exploded. And it exploded on me. And now I hope it's exploding on you, that God moves in surprising ways, in powerful ways, right here in our midst. So I do want to offer it now to you. Rahab's story is a vivid one of God that is powerful and surprises us in the way that he works. What story of God at work do you have to share? Remember, it could be your own story. It could be a story of someone else that you know, of course, removing any confidential information as you share it. It could be another Bible story that has always inspired your faith. I'm going to pray, and I'm going to ask that God would bring a story to mind for each of us to share but if you don't find that one comes to mind, I still encourage you to circle up with one or two others to hear the stories 
of God at work and to expect that God would use the, the mechanism of storytelling to expand your faith today. So let me pray for us. God, we are hearing in Rahab's story, in my story, in Steve's story, that you are a God at work. And we confess that it is easy for us to wonder if that's true at times, to lose sight. And so I ask, in these few moments now, that you would put in each of our minds a story of how it is that we have heard that you are at work in surprising and powerful ways in the world. Right now, Lord, would you put it in our minds? And as we listen to one another's stories, would you do the work by your Spirit to enlarge and enliven our faith, to believe you, to look for you, to ask for you, to move in our context. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we have a few minutes set aside for this now. So I encourage you to turn and to share what stories have come to mind and then we'll move ahead in musical worship.